Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny taught from Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. We will grow to maturity as believers if we hear God's Word, hold on, and endure. We're continuing on in our series called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I Have Decided. And as we're, as we're cruising through this, uh, this series, we're looking at things that Jesus specifically said about what it looks like to be his follower, what it looks like to follow him uh, practically. So if you guys would turn your, your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at a great parable and one of the only parables that Jesus actually uh, explains what it means. Usually just drops these parables. Parables are short stories with a deeper meaning, and we're left to kind of mull through it with the Holy Spirit and figure out what it means, but Jesus specifically spent some time uh, in Luke 8 unpacking what he meant with this story. Uh, and as we turn there, when we've decided to follow Jesus, we should be aware that there are things that are actively going to come at us from all different angles to try to veer us away from that path. Have you guys experienced that? When you decide to follow Jesus, there will be things that come up, excuses, distractions, 10,000 things that try to pull you away from continuing on that path of following Jesus. And a good way to think about that is, how many of you guys have ever, um, on January 1st, you, you have done this or you knew somebody who renewed or made a first-time commitment to get in shape, Right? <laughs> In January 1st, we, we, we tend to make resolutions, and probably the most stereotypical one is, I'm going to go back to the gym, or I'm going to start running again, or I'm going to get in shape. And so if you followed uh, 100 people that made that decision, at the end of a couple of months, we know, because of human nature and time and experience, that there would be a certain percentage, a high percentage of them, who are no longer on that path. And if you were to look at, at their stories, 100 people, and look at all their stories, you would find some different themes. What were the things that pulled you off the path? It might have been busyness. It might have been laziness. It might have been discouragement. It might have been injuries. It might have been so many things. And as we look at Luke chapter 8, we're going to see that there's a very similar situation that goes on with deciding to follow Jesus. And so Jesus tells this story. He's, he's in Luke chapter 8. He's walking with his disciples. He's walking with some significant women in his ministry. Uh, he, he tells us about. And then w- along the way, there's this large crowd that is coming from all these different places around the Sea of Galilee in the region called Galilee. And it says, as a large crowd was gathering... And people were coming to Jesus from every town around this area. He said in a parable, a short story with a deeper meaning. He said, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. So sowing in this time is scattering seeds for a harvest. And what they would do is they would scatter the seeds and then they would come with the plow and they would plow the land. And that was supposed to really bury these seeds deep and get them where they needed to go. And the whole idea was that if you plant enough seeds, hopefully you'll have a harvest. 
So a sower, a guy who does this, went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. And other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. And other seed fell uh, among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And still other seed fell on good ground, and when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. And as he said this, Jesus called out, let anyone who has ears hear, to hear, listen. Sometimes Jesus is a little bit like Yoda from Star Wars, right? He like just says these like things and, and you're at the end of it, you're like, what is this, like a YouTube video about my garden? What you, is, is Jesus spending too much time watching H, uh, Home and Garden television, and he just thought he would give us a little bit of a story about, about planting seeds and, and gardening and farming? Well, the reality is, is that Jesus is telling a short story that's supposed to have a greater meaning. And just like I said, most of the time, Jesus would tell these parables, and then we're still talking about them today, and going, I think it means this, or I think it means this. Well, the disciples, thankfully, asked Jesus, hey, when you were talking about that scattering the seeds thing, what were you talking about? And Jesus graciously answered them, and that's what I really want to look at today. So the context is there's this parable has been dropped, and now Jesus is going to explain it. He says in verse 9, then the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And then moving along, in verse 11, it's Jesus explaining this. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed among the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But having no root, these believe for a while, and then they fall away in a time of testing. And as for the seed that fell among thorns, those are the ones who, when they have heard, they go on their way, but then are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, they hold on to it, and by enduring, they produce fruit. And so Jesus tells this, this great story about seeds, and we see now that Jesus has explained it, that the garden is actually our hearts. That the garden is the soil of our hearts. And the first thing that I would, I would point out is, Jesus is talking to people who understood farming. That is not us. We, we, in contrast, we live in a consumer-based environment, in a consumer-based culture. What's a consumer-based culture? A consumer, you might be a consumer-based culture when you want something, and you can go on your phone, and you can order it on Amazon Prime, and then get angry if it doesn't come within two days, right? <laughs> we live in a consumer-based Culture, a culture where we like to buy things turnkey. 
Our idea of, of gardening on your own, doing the work, is going to Home Depot and buying plants that are already started, digging a hole, putting the plant in the ground, and saying, I planted that. <laughs> we live in a consumer-based society. We live in a consumer-based culture when it comes to church. We like to choose our church and say, I want to go to church, and I want to get something immediate. I want to have an immediate change. I want you to give me something, do something for me, entertain me enough, uh, uh, whatever it is, enough. I want to leave change. We don't tend to think about the work of being soil and planting seeds and watering and waiting and protecting And in the future, knowing that God is going to produce something with this effort. And yet that, although God sometimes does come and do miracles in our hearts and change lives immediately, and we praise God when he does, but much more often in the scriptures we see teaching about being people who are good soil and are doing the things so that you will produce a fruit for the glory of God. And that's what we want to be aiming towards as the people of God. And so when we decide to follow Jesus, we're deciding to be people that want to grow up to maturity in Christ, which means to be more like Christ. We want to be a people who are growing. The harvest is when we become more and more like Jesus ourselves and that we're reaching out to others and helping others become more and more like Jesus. That is the harvest. That's why we say we want to passionately point people to Jesus. He's the only one that can do this. And we want to teach them to be disciples, to have a good harvest themselves, and to make disciples who are having a great harvest, becoming more and more like Jesus. And so the garden is your heart. And if you want to grow to maturity, what Jesus is saying specifically, if you want to grow to maturity, if you want to have this type of harvest, you will need to hear the word, hold on, and not give up. That's the things that he says. There's, we could spend all, all, all day looking at what Jesus says of the reasons why you could fall away, right? You have, you have uh, distractions. You have worries that come. Sometimes worries will pull you off. Or pleasures, right? You're, you, you, have, you get too much of something else. You get excited about something else. It could be trials. You go through hard times. It could be the, the enemy just doesn't even ever allow you to hear the word of God in a way that it makes sense and you want to pursue. All these things could happen. But we want to be looking at this morning is this. As people who have ears to hear, you hear Jesus said that. If you have ears to hear, listen. Right now, I would say this is a church, this is a building filled with people who have ears to hear. So this morning we want to listen. And we want to desire to grow up into everything that God has for us to do in us and to do through us. And if you want to grow to maturity in Christ, you must hear the word, hold on, and not give up. And so let's look in our notes at those things individually. We need to be people that hear the word. We need to be people that hear the word. 
when we talk about hearing the word, we want to we understand this from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective. When, when it says in Deuteronomy, way back when Moses is, 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 is on the plains of Moab, they're ready to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land after they had failed, spent 40 years re, re, God redeveloping them, and now they're going to move forward and make some progress into the promised land. And, and Moses preaches to them these three sermons that we have in Deuteronomy before they do this. In Deuteronomy 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And you should teach your kids to do this. And teach each other to do this. Do it on the way, wherever you're going. Do it in your homes, in the morning and at night. Do it all the time. Right? He says, hear, O Israel. This idea of hearing isn't just about hearing. It's not just about your ears sensing that somebody is, some, some vocals have gone out into the universe and I'm, and I'm trying to interpret what they said. Hearing in the Bible is hearing with the intention and, and, the, and the follow through of applying. Hearing in the Bible is hearing and obeying. It would be like if you're a parent and like my mom used to do this to me all the time and I think it might have driven her nuts because she told me often that's driving me nuts, right? And she would do like this, Kenny, dinner's ready. Kenny, dinner is ready. Now she's starting to bug me. Kenny, dinner's ready. I heard you, mom. No, you didn't hear me because you would be here eating dinner. Right? Kenny, go clean your room. Right? Kenny, go clean your room. I heard you the first time, Mom. No, you didn't because your room is a mess. And I told you three days ago, right? Hearing, I'm not hearing my mom because I'm not following through. And so when, when, when Jesus says we need to hear the word of God, he's not saying like, hey, Listen to what the Bible says. He's saying, be people who hear it, absorb it, apply it. Be people who hear the word of God. And, 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 and that's important. And so here's some maybe three practical ways that you can practice this in an ongoing way. And the first one would be this. How do we be people here with obedience? The first principle would be this. Start doing what you know. In Philippians 4, he's like, just, I want you to live, live up to where you've already attained to, right? Paul's like, hey, I'm not asking you if you're a brand new Christian to be a 20-year experienced Christian. Just be a brand new Christian, but do what you know. Here's the problem with theology and the church. We know a tremendous amount as the church, but we're not always so great at applying it, Right? Knowing more information is not the answer to building a God-glorifying church and being the church all the time. It's important that we study the Word of God, but just do what you know. If we would just do what we know, we would be growing tremendously. So do what you know. And then the second thing is, don't stay there. Study God's Word. We should be people that are growing in our knowledge. And as we grow in our knowledge, we should be applying that. We should be maturing. We hear God's word. You do what you know. And you keep growing. And then the third thing would be, don't pick and choose. 
a consumer, a consumer culture is good at picking and choosing, right? I mean, we look on Yelp and we go, what's the best version of that? And we pick, we can pick and choose in so many areas of our life. There's 10,000 decisions all the time on all of us. There's so many choices. You want cereal? It's overwhelming to go to the cereal aisle now, right? Do I want healthy or do I want unhealthy? Do I want fruity or do I want chocolate? Do I want something that I can take some time because it doesn't absorb all the milk and get soggy? Or what do I want? There's 10,000 choices. Well, when it comes to the scripture, the scriptures are not like the cereal aisle. It doesn't have all these things on there because let's just walk through the word of God and see what I want for me. It's the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. Don't skip what God is trying to capture your attention with. Don't pick and choose. This is what it looks like to be people who hear the word of God. We do what we know. We keep growing in what we know and we don't pick and choose. And then he says that we need to be good soil. We need to literally be good soil. He says, people who have an honest and good heart. That's how it gets translated in English. People who have a good soil in their heart. And I would suggest a couple of ways you know if your heart is, is the type of heart that's ready to hear God's word and, 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 and absorb it and apply it. That's somebody who has a good, a good heart. That's somebody who has good soil. It's somebody who has a a biblical worldview. That's what we want. When you have a biblical worldview, you tend to to look at God and have a big view of God. Or we might say a gospel-centered worldview. A gospel-centered worldview. If the gospel is all of who God is and all all of that which God has done and all of the things that God has promised, then we have a a gospel center worldview and we go, I know who God is and I know what he's done and I know what he's promised and I stand upon those things. That's a gospel-centered, biblical worldview. And Jesus says that along this path, when the seeds are getting scattered, when the word is here, it's amongst us, we've heard it. But not everybody absorbs it and applies it. The scattering is the hearing, maybe, like the way that we do in America. We, just, we, we audibly hear it. But then what happens after it's sowed? Do we, do we absorb it and apply it? And does it bear fruit? And Jesus says that the devil comes along and takes away the word. How does he do that? What's his strategy? Here's something I know about about the devil. He's not as creative as you would think. He has a few strategies he's been using for as long as recorded history is going on, and it still works, because he knows human weakness really well, and he exploits it. But the good thing about that is we can be, we can know the schemes of the devil like Peter taught us, and we can guard ourselves against that like Paul taught us to put on the armor of God. And we need to know that One of his schemes is that he loves to twist God's word. Even from Adam and Eve, right? Eve is is thinking about what God said. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat from all of these trees. Don't eat from that tree. Rather than going, I can't believe God lets me eat from all of these trees. He points out, oh yeah, but he's, he's holding out on that one. Right? That one tree, you can't eat from that. Now that's all she could think about. 
is that one tree that she can't eat from. And she loses sight. Did God really say, is God really, are you really going to die if that happens? He's twisting the word of God. He wants to get you to believe a false version or he belittles God's word to get you to doubt God that God's word is relevant for you or it's valid. I'll give you a couple of of scenarios that I see all the time. From a biblical worldview to, to a secular worldview. The idea of cohabitation. So here's the idea of cohabitation is that God has said that marriage is the context for a relationship between a man and a woman, especially when it comes to that point when, it, when it's sexual and it's, you become one, right? That's, that's supposed to happen in the context of marriage. He says, and you leave your father and mother and cling to your wife. That's a culture when, when until you got married, you would stay in the family unit. Today, you don't probably live at home with your mom until you're, well, some people do, right? But that's, and that's okay, but sometimes we move out and we go to college and we do other things. But the idea is that, that you, would, you would have something separate, and then when you got married, that's when you would come together and live together. Cohabitation. And yet, in our culture, we almost can teach that there's some responsibility in cohabitation, right? That doesn't it make sense financially sometimes to not pay two rents and just pay one, right? Or, man, we're so busy in this busy culture. We never have time for each other. If we lived together, we would at least see each other at home, right? Or, or 10,000 other reasons. You got to practice before you play, right? Before you really commit for the rest of your life, you should try this out. I mean, doesn't that make sense in a lot of realms? If you practice, practice makes perfect, But that's not how it works with marriage. That's what God's word says. It actually costs you way more than you would ever save by paying two rents. It actually is not the best way to develop health that will prolong into marriage. Not only does the Bible say that, but culture says that. They look at studies and people who cohabitate do not flourish more than people who do not. It is not the best way. God's way is the best way. And I'm not trying to hammer this as the main point of the teaching, but it gives you an example that we see so often Whereas it sounds like it makes so much sense. But if we had a biblical worldview, it doesn't make sense in God's eyes. Are we going to hear his word and apply it that way? And if you're in that situation right now, I would just encourage you. We love you and would love to meet with you and, and figure out a strategy of how could we, how could we make this healthy? How could, how could we move forward from where we're at. Another one is this. It's graduation time, right? If you're 18 or around that realm, you've probably heard this 10,000 times. What are you going to do next, right? What are you going to do with your life? Where, what do you, you want to do, right? And we love to say this. Guess what? You could do anything you want to do. You could do anything you want to do if you just work hard enough. And we're trying to be motivating, and we're trying to be encouraging. But how many 18-year-olds are encouraged by that? Probably zero. It's so much unnecessary pressure. It's ridiculous. 
How about this? God has a plan for your life. Just take it one step at a time. Cultivate a relationship with God. Cultivate health in your relationship with God and let God take you along the path. And he will lead you to the next steps. He will lead you. Let God be in charge of. Why don't we ask the question, what does God want to do with my life? You know what? You can do anything. You can do anything that God has called you to do. Because where God sends you, he's going to provide. But you can't do anything. You shouldn't want to do anything you want to do. That is just a twist from a biblical worldview that is so easy and prevalent in our society. So we want to have a biblical worldview. We want to have a big view of God. That's what it looks like to have a good soil. And we want to have a soft heart. I often teach our men, and it, but it, it applies to everybody. We want to be people who are praying for a soft heart and thick skin. Most of our world has a hard heart and thin skin. We want to be people who have a soft heart and thick skin. You know how you know if you have a soft heart? Because you love God and you love other people. You love God. You believe that he's, he's, his ways are best. You love God. You believe he loves you. You love God. You believe he's for you. You love God. You believe he's given you his word as a gift to, to guide you like a lamp onto your path when you're in a dark space like this world. You love God and you love others. You, you see them through the eyes like Jesus. Is. You love people. You have grace for them. You're tender towards people. You overlook their wrong. Someone cuts you off and you're like, probably, they're probably having a bad day. I'm going to stop and pray for that, that saint right there. Right? They're probably on their way. They're, I bet you their wife's pregnant and is laying in the back probably like in so much pain. And he's rushing to get to the hospital. I'm glad I got the opportunity to get out of the way and let them get there faster. Right? That's not what I do. But when you have a soft heart, you see things differently. You, you experience people differently. You love differently. You have grace differently. And then you want to have thick skin. When you have thin skin, you're always trying to protect yourself. You're always trying to protect your identity. You're always trying to protect your value. If you have thin skin, anything that comes against you can throw you off the path. You need to have thick skin. And here's what it looks like. To have thick skin is to be somebody who is settled on the fact that what God says about you matters more than anything else. If you're struggling with this, I want to encourage you this week to do this. It might sound kind of cheesy, but if you're struggling with this, put on Lauren Daigle. She had this song called You Say. And just put it on repeat all week. If you're if you're struggling with some thin skin, your identity, and I want to just read it. She says this, and it's crossed over into the secular world. This song is, is, is touching a nerve with people because it's so deeply ingrained in the way that God made us. And he says, she says this, she says, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Anyone relate to that? Uh, every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again, she's crying out to God, just who I am, because I need to know. You say I'm loved, 
when I can't feel a thing. And you say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. And you say I am held when I'm falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say that I'm yours. And I believe. And what you say of me, I believe. And the only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. Do you believe what the Bible says about God? Do you believe what the Bible says about God? And do you believe what the Bible says about what God says about you? This is, this is to hear and absorb and apply. And if we want to have thick skin, we get thick skin and a soft heart only when we get God in the right place in our minds and in our hearts, in our perspectives. That's how we cultivate this. And then he says, once you've, once you've heard the word of God with this soft heart, with this biblical perspective, with this, what God says is true, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do. And then he says, then you need to hold on and endure. You need to hold on and endure. And I, I've been thinking about that. Like, like, what's the difference between those two things? Like to hold on and to endure. And, and I think biblically when I look at the context of this passage, I think that hold on is for right now. Hold on is the actions that you're doing right now to, to, to stay close to God and to cultivate your relationship with God and your relationship with God's people and even your relationship with your neighbors and with the nations. And understand those correctly. To hold on is the things that we do right now in order to, to stay in that place where God has us as good soil and we're, and we're, and we're being watered and we're, and we're, and we're going to grow. And then to endure, that's the long-term gain. And we need both. You need right now to be thinking about how right now am I, am I staying close to God and, and in a place where he's working in my life. And you need a long-term plan. You need a long-term perspective. And so let's look a little bit more at, at both of those. The first one he says, hold on to it. Here's what you need to know. It won't always feel good. Your Christianity won't always feel good. Your walk with Jesus won't always feel good. The season that you're in won't always feel good. It won't always be fun. It won't always be fun. It won't always feel exciting. God would rather make you holy than make you happy. Sometimes what God is doing in you is making you holy, which if you're, if, if you're like, okay, what does that even mean, holy? It means more like Jesus. As Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. Be more like me. Being holy is becoming more like Jesus. And he would rather make you more like Jesus then make you happy in that season. Not that being happy is a sin. And not that God doesn't lead us to times where we are extremely happy. But it isn't every season, is it? And so here's just a real hold on to it reality perspective. You won't always be happy. 
And God doesn't teach us to pursue happiness in this parable. He teaches us to pursue healthiness in this parable. When we pursue healthiness, sometimes we will experience happiness. But in those seasons when we don't experience happiness, which we all will go through, we'll still be healthy and we'll be able to hold on. Does that make sense? When we pursue happiness, it drives us off the path. The enemy loves it when you're pursuing happiness because he can put on all of his commercials and tell you what you need. When you pursue happiness, you're like my puppy and he's walking along and he's pursuing happiness. He's pursuing his owner. And then what comes along? Squirrel, right? Now he's off. He's no longer a good boy, right? We don't want to be like a puppy pursuing whatever urge comes up. We want to pursue healthiness. If you're married, listen to me very closely. You want to know how, what it looks like to, to, to have a, a, a great marriage? Don't pursue happiness. Pursue health. A healthy marriage is the goal Not a happy marriage. Because if you pursue a healthy marriage, you will go through seasons where you're happy. But even when you're not, you'll be able to endure those seasons and they will come. When you pursue happiness, you're going to have unmet expectations. Because it won't always be happy. That's not even how we form our vows, is it? Through sickness and health, yeah, right, right. But let's just go and be happy, right? We just want to be happy together. We want to live happily ever after, right? I just want, I do, I'm just doing what makes me happy, right? How many people do you know that were just doing what, they, what makes them happy and they ended up miserable? Just pursuing happiness is not a godly aim. Pursuing health is a godly aim. And trusting God to give you seasons of happiness, but even in those seasons where there's not happiness, he's always working for your good, and he cares more about your holiness than your happiness. And I think we come alongside of him when we care more about our holiness than our happiness. So some start with joy, but it says trials come and they fall away. They start with joy, they're pursuing happiness and they're happy, but then they go through a season when they're not happy, And they go, oh, this must not be working. You know, Christianity isn't working. I'm not happy anymore. I started out happy, but now I'm not happy. I'm going to go do something else. Right? That's not holding on, is it? And that's not enduring. And so we pursue health. And it says that that some of them, uh, they were choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life. That's a whole spectrum, right? Like you start worrying about something and then you start coming up with your own solutions and and saying, I don't have time for that. I got to spend all my time over here, right? You're choked out with worries or pleasures. Ooh, I'm really enjoying this right now. I'm going to do more of this hobby, right? Or, Or pleasures, right? Oh, I really feel like I have these urges and I need to fulfill them. And so I'm chasing all these different things rather than chasing the Lord. And this happens all the time. These are the schemes of the enemy. He's not that creative. We need to open our eyes. We need to open our ears. For those who have ears, listen. And we'll have the Bible come back up. So hold on. 
<laughs> Did I say what did I say? Bible, just come on up. <laughs> that's like, that's like maybe what I was really saying was Jesus come back. <laughs> or maybe I worked last night and I've been up all night. One of those two. It's one of those two. <laughs> also, how come when I said when the Bible came up, Amanda came up? <laughs> A lot of questions we have. Now, to recapitulate, hold on means don't start following other promises, right? It's probably a bad time for a cheesy joke, but like TLC, the great, the great band, the great trio, the great evangelist, TLC, they said, don't go chasing. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it could apply. <laughs> don't do that. Now, and also don't give up. Don't give up. Now, that's the long-term endurance. How do you, how do you make it through a, a marathon? You might ask somebody. Is it that, that it's easy for you because you love to run? For most people, they, they hit a wall, don't they? I mean, I've never run a marathon. I like, I like the 400-meter race, and then, like, that's, that's about, like, my, my distance. That's where, I, that's where I excel. Walking a 400-meter race to 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee. That's my race, right? But, but if you're running a marathon, I think the key to, run, to finishing is what? Just don't quit. Just don't quit. You got to have some resolve. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. It's a it's it's a it's a tenacity. It's a it's a I've already decided I'm not going to quit because you're going to want to. You think your mind's not going to be like you should quit? It is, but you're going to need to have already determined. No, when my mind says quit, I'm going to say no. Mind, I'm going to keep going. So you don't give up. And here's the reality. Everyone is going to get discouraged. Every one of us is going to get discouraged. Everybody gets overwhelmed sometimes. But it's where you run that matters, right? When you get overwhelmed, you could run a thousand places or you could run to the Lord. When the worries come up, they come up for everybody. But the ones where the worries come up and they and they let their worries take them away from the Lord rather than draw them near to the Lord, those are the ones that fall away. They don't endure because because trials came up. Things came up. It got hard. But the ones who have a resolve, I will never give up. I I have decided to follow Jesus, and there is no turning back. These are the ones that he says are going to produce a fruit. And everyone falls down sometimes. Actually, the, the Proverbs say that. They go, a righteous man falls down many times. Doesn't that sound peculiar to you? Because if I was writing a religious book based on my wisdom, I'd be like, a righteous man always does the right thing and never falls down. And yet Solomon, the wise one, said, no, a righteous man falls down many times, but he gets back up. And so it's not about whether or not you fall down, whether or not you're going to produce fruit. It's about do you get back up again? And sometimes maturity is just the distance between those two things. An immature Christian falls down and then they drift away for a long period of time. A mature Christian falls down and they get right back up. And they get right back after it. We need to be people, not people that don't fall down, but people who get back up and get back after it. That's what it looks like to endure. 
We need to stay consistent. We need to stay faithful. We need to stay in community. And we need to stay in God's word. We need to hold on with some resolve, both now and all the way through the race. And God's word, God's word implanted us in us, if we'll believe it, and we'll hold on to it. And that means in its season, it will bear fruit. That's what the Bible says. In its season, it will bear fruit. We're not consumers. Like, some of you guys are going to make some decisions. I'm going to follow Jesus. You're not going to walk out of here radically changed, maybe. You're going to walk out of here actually radically changed because there's a seed planted in you that's going to grow up at some point in its season. But you need to hold on. And you need to endure. You need to be faithful. And you need to trust God with the results. God is the one who makes the results. God is the one who makes it grow. God is the one who gives you the seed. You hold on to it. You endure. He's going to do what he does with it. And it's going to be radical. It literally says a hundred times what you sowed is what he promises. A hundred times. God is able to do more in you if you just hold on and endure and believe. And desire to grow. God is going to do in you more than you could ask or imagine. More than you could do if you did it in your own strength. He's going to make you have seasons where you're happier than you ever thought you could be. And in seasons when you're more miserable than you ever thought you could endure, you're still going to endure. Because he's going to be there with you. That's what it looks like to have a biblical perspective. That's what it looks like to follow this Jesus Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.